Hello and welcome to It Is Complicated, the podcast where we answer every single question with It Is Complicated, including the title of the podcast, which is It Is Complicated. Hello, Dr. J. Hello, Josephine. Shall we pretend that we haven't been corpsing each other for the last five minutes? Yes. For the sake of editing, we shall. How are you? I'm doing quite well. I have a cat that generally hates me but has decided to come and walk across my knee and then sit on the windowsill beside me. But she is shaking her tail because I'm not allowing her to sit in silent contemplation of the street outside. Well, that's reasonable. In cat terms, of course. Yes, of course. Of Mm. course. So how are you, Josephine? I'm not my best. I'm not feeling very well. But irregardless, we really wanted to record a podcast today. And so we shall. I was thinking, let's do two things in there. One of which is the green flags that we talked about. And the other one is let's talk about just being here, being here for each other, being here for our friends. And sometimes being here is the thing that we can do for each other. Yeah, I like that. Cool. Sure. So shall I introduce myself? Would you like to know who the fuck you're talking to? Hi, I'm Dr. J. I use they as a pronoun. I work at a software consultancy called ThoughtWorks, who allowed me to write my own job title, fools that they were, and I came up with Harbinger of Change. I also was born in New Zealand, and they allowed me to write my own gender. Also, fools that they were, and I gave myself the gender transgressive, non-binary, genderqueer. So that is my official gender, and hopefully I will soon even have a birth certificate with it on, should New Zealand do what it promised to do in 2023, and I do believe that New Zealand will get around to doing it. I am also a troublemaker and a hashtag queer nuisance because branding. Josephine, how do you want to introduce yourself today? Good question. I could say hello. My name is Josephine Baird. I use the pronouns she and her. I am currently a lecturer at the University of Uppsala, teaching about game design. And I'm also doing a PhD also on game design, because why not? Prior to this, I used to tread the boards as a performer, not so much these days, but trying to get back into it just a little bit. And also, because I've got so much free time, I'm trying to write something at the moment, which is very exciting. Otherwise, I like to think of myself as a femme of international mystery, because it sounds so cool. It does. So shall we ramble on to green flags? And I think part of this came out of some conversations that I've been having in my workplace. I kind of made the comment that given the generalized discourse going on around trans people at the moment, especially in the UK, I've said to people, unless you green flag to me that the space is safe, I have to assume that all spaces are unsafe. And that's almost feels back to front to a lot of cis people and they don't quite get it. So I thought, and Josephine thought, maybe it would be good to discuss what those green flags are and what they could be and why we need them at the moment And it sounds horrible to say to people, and I really don't like saying this because I always run on presume the best, be kind, presume the best and empathize. So I'm always trying to be kind. I'm always trying to presume the best of people and always trying to empathize with everyone's situation. At the moment, I cannot, 
and as a trans and visibly non-binary person, I cannot assume that a space is safe. I cannot make that presumption. I cannot make that presumption that you are going to be welcoming of me, that when I state my pronoun, you're going to be calm and you're just going to go, oh, pronouns, I know how to use those. And we're not going to get into an in-depth discussion as to why I have them or someone's not going to ask me about the latest government madness or something like that. And that's a horrible space to be in, to presume that every interaction you have is unsafe unless something tells you otherwise, whether that's history with that person, whether that's enough other people in the room who you know are on your side or anything like that. It's exhausting. And I can give a brief example. I just went to the gym. I haven't been to this gym before other than to use it as a swimming pool. And I can't go for a swim because I've just got tattoos. So having to wait for them to heal up before I can get back in the water. So I went to the gym and the lovely person on the desk, I said, oh, where are the dry changing rooms? Because I know where the swimming ones are. And they said, they're on the left and you want the second one. And then they said, or maybe the first one. And this lovely person was just trying to say, just choose a changing room on the left. You might want one of the two of them. Go and make a choice. And that was actually kind of sweet. I think he was just struggling to read my gender, but he handled it in such a very sweet way. But again, I had to run in there assuming that this was not a safe place and not a safe discussion to have of which one should I go into and trying to maintain some privacy from the screaming children behind me during this discussion. It's a difficult concept to approach. I wanted to approach it in a positive way, but actually the truth is the last couple of days, weeks, the news has been so particularly awful. It's very, very difficult to approach any kind of topic like this in a positive way. Truth is that I've worked with a number of different organizations who one way or the other have provided some sort of training for other organizations. For those who may not know, I used to work for Stonewall 20 years ago. I've worked for LGBTQ plus charities and events. I've been a equality training person for different organizations. And if you do this sort of officially every now and again, depending on who you work for, in Sweden, for example, there's a group called RFSL. If you get trained by them, you can get a little sticker or plaque or whatever to stick in your office. And that kind of sticker or plug can often be very encouraging. If I go into a doctor office and I see that up, at least I know that someone there has probably had a conversation that could be to my benefit. Even more generally and specifically, it certainly used to be the case that if I saw a rainbow flag in the door of a business, as I walked up to that business, I would feel more confident walking in to said business, be that restaurant, bar, tattoo shop, clothing place, video game alley. What can I say? Anywhere that has that little flag up. I used to say to people who were interested in like, what can we do to be more encouraging to queer people and invite them in? Often I was like, well, you have to advertise that you are and mean it and don't be like, okay, we put up a rainbow flag and that's it. Because unfortunately with the advent of um, corporate pride, just having the flag there no longer means that they are 
<laughs> in any way necessarily accepting to us, sadly. But I would say prior to recently that that would be a good start, putting that up there and making people aware that you are broadly accepting. Now I'm not so sure. <laughs> and that's depressing. I don't know what's a good sign in a way like that. I had a conversation recently with someone who was interested in representing queer stories in video games. This person is a cis, straight, identified man. And he came to me and said, I really want to include this narrative, but I'm really concerned about representing it poorly. Could you give me some advice? And I said to him, the very fact that he was asking the question at all was a really good sign. <laughs> So that's a green flag for me in a mm. positive sense. Somebody who comes up and says, I'm worried about doing this wrong <laughs> is a very good indication to me that the person is probably on the right track. <laughs> I had a similar conversation about two months ago. I was at my garage to have my car repaired. He's a lovely guy. I've known him for 10, 12 years, he's looked after my car and he was talking about needing a receptionist. And I said, look, I could put the call out amongst my friends. You might find some of them are really flamboyantly queer. And he was horrified that I thought he might be homophobic or transphobic. And I felt really bad. And when I went back to pick my car up the next day, I said to him, look, I'm so sorry if I came across really offensive I said, I've just got my shields up all the time because I'm having such a rough time, especially being called a groomer all the time, is just really got to me that day. And this guy turned around and says, who's called you a groomer? Can I go kill them? And literally, it was just like that entire thing of, of like, I'm not just on your side. I'm not just somebody that would employ a queer person and have queer people in my life. And you might not get that from how I look, but also... I would protect you. If someone was calling you a groomer to your face, I'd go off. <laughs> he kind of told me a story, which led me to believe that if I was having a problem with somebody physically attacking me, he would probably be more than happy to leap in on my side. It was really quite sweet, but it was also like, if there's no signs that somebody is positive, I couldn't make that step. And I felt bad for it. He felt bad that I'd made that assumption about him. But there just isn't anything like all the rainbow lanyards and everything have just become the thing that everyone wears. And it doesn't show that they've had any training or make any difference. And during the COVID lockdowns, everyone drew rainbows to say thank you to the NHS. And I'm like, that's a wonderful gesture, but it's left me with no markers now to figure out if it's safe to talk to somebody, if it's safe to reveal to somebody what's going on in any way, shape or form. And it is particularly egregious in corporate environments. You just can't tell. Well, I think you can. And I have one small thing that people can do, but I'm more interested in, at the moment, kind of unpacking this a little bit more because I don't think my small solution is a solution to everything. I think it's a starter for 10. And the, the change over time has been really interesting because it wasn't that long ago where I would have said, if you see a rainbow like that, it's a really good sign mm. that you will probably be okay in that environment. And that's not the case anymore. So what are our green flags? 
like I said, for me, it's someone who's got the insight to believe that they need education or they need to be considerate or they need to be careful. That doesn't mean you have to tiptoe around. God knows you don't have to tiptoe around me. Actually, I'm really kind of bulletproof at this point. And generally, as far as I'm concerned, if you've got a good heart and you mean well, for the most part, we'll get along. Even if you make a flub or say something, the fact that you care enough to be concerned is is enough. So maybe that's my green flag these days. But honestly, I don't really know at this point. What is a good indication? I thought I did. Maybe seeing the progress pride flag, maybe a bit more so. But even then, you know, it's... When I was doing DEI, well, shit, it was 2011, 2010, 2011 for trying to help a company on the HRC measures in the US. And one of the things was your LGBT allies, etc., should signal themselves with a rainbow flag was considered like the height of corporate prideness. And now everybody has pride badges and wears rainbows and gets into pride, or it feels like it. I think there's actions things, like you say, that curiosity, that openness, you can pretty much pick up the vibe. The one for me is, and I've said this to people, is doing the work so that if you state your pronouns all the time, I don't have to do the extra work when I state mine. You've already had those conversations. If the people we're going to be going in to talk to isn't comfortable with pronouns and isn't giving a good vibe when you state your pronouns, you've dealt with it. And it's not been me that's discovered this. I've not been put under stress or under threat. So when everyone states their pronouns, I'm like, hey, this is a space that I can chill in. This is a space that I don't have to have the walls up quite so much and I can relax and and just be fine on the call, just be fine in this conversation, just be fine in this meeting without having to kind of hold my breath or go, oh, is this going to be a divergent meeting or something like that? And it sounds so simple of just, if you state your name, you state your pronoun. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good sign. Actually, weirdly enough, you're right. The thing that I've noticed that I actually take as a green flag these days is I say I'm on Twitter Hellscape. And I see someone say something good or interesting, I'll go to their profile. And if I see their pronouns, then I'm like, okay, they're probably all right. And oh, and if I their can... pronouns aren't wanker, what was Elon Musk's? My pronouns are wanker or something like that. And my answer is, yes, you are. Well, <laughs> <laughs> if somebody's got a name tag with a pronoun on it, or their email signature has a pronoun on it, I'm likely to go, yeah, it's going to be fine to answer this email. It's kind of the reverse of going on a date or meeting somebody like me attempting to date people. When you feel that vibe, when you see those red flags, you kind of know you're having to make those decisions and you're making decisions to hide parts of yourself or to reduce contact or maybe just walk away from the situation. Whereas if you see green flags, you're kind of like, ah, this person seems to have a nice vibe. Ah, I can go out and have a pleasant conversation with this person. The green flags are kind of the same. Is this conversation going to go well? Almost level of signals. I was trying to think of the right word, but I think it's signals. I think it's the stuff we pick up in our gut. Like we can always tell. I can always tell if somebody doesn't like me because of this or somebody doesn't like me because of the company that I work at or something like that. You get that vibe. I'm just trying to think of how one can 
consider that in a more sort of structural way because vibe is yeah we all do it i think as queer people i certainly do it is you go into a room and you try to get a sense of that or you don't even need to try to be honest you actually just <laughs> do it just happens for the most part it's relatively consistently accurate <laughs> when you get that vibe or not people seem to be able to or i i certainly found even with my general anxiety around social interactions and my inability to read people I still managed to get that vibe, which is very interesting, right? As a flag situation, whether that vibe might be, okay, there's somebody in this space, no matter how large it is, it is not into me right now and I can feel it. Or if the sense is like, oh, this is generally probably going to be an okay place. However, unfortunately, even if I get that vibe, I'm still going to presume it's not an okay place until I get some sort of confirmation because I'm so used to looking for the threat that even if... I think it's okay. I still really appreciate being told it's okay. So in that situation, seeing pronouns on people's name tags or on their online profiles or in their introductions, hearing them in their introductions is going to be some kind of signal for you. And then it's the tone of voice and the questions that people ask that come next. Because I think that ability to sense the vibe is almost... I don't know whether it's because of our histories as queer people or it's from the world that we've been through or it's just the sixth sense. Is it the sixth sense or the seventh sense or the eighth sense that you get from being a queer? It's like another superpower of like you can walk in a room and sense the vibe instantly. It's like walking into a pub and you immediately know if it's a gay pub, a queer pub or a straight pub. I can tell that. You know, I'm also not the greatest at reading social cues at times, but it's that sense in your stomach that gets past our social anxiety, gets past our awkwardness. And it's almost like we are just able to pick up the vibe, but we then look for confirmation or checks and we look for those green flags. And honestly, if I see people with name badges with pronouns on, I know that somebody has at least had to have a conversation about whether or not they're putting pronouns on. So the one person without pronouns on, I'm like, hmm, interesting. Or is that somebody who's just not comfortable stating their pronouns because they're in a space where they don't feel 100% safe putting down their authentic pronouns? But 99.9% .9 of the time, somebody who hasn't stated their pronouns is somebody who has a problem with pronouns. I'm like, fuck you, it's fucking English. Anyway, that's just an entire separate point. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think we're at that stage. Normally I think about the micro rather than the macro, but is there a way to structurally encourage that as a organization, as a, I'm thinking about my department here at the university, is there a way to do that that doesn't seem performative? Is there a way to do that? as a space to create a culture. This is the thing that I've been so keen to be careful about whenever I've been running events or putting together any of these things is to try to do these things in such a way that is actually demonstrably high you're welcome without being, yeah, but with that, without doing what's happened to this rainbow flag around pride. I think stating your pronouns once you state your name is a good first step. It's it's rewriting the verbal script. It's rewriting the intro script because we all learn, hi, my name is, as a small child, it's like, how do you introduce yourself to somebody? We're all taught it as small children at school. You practice it and it's often the first things that you learn in different languages. It is that 
very simple script that everyone does of, oh, what's your name? Oh, my name's so-and-so. It's if you just take your pronouns on there. Oh, my name's Jay and I use they. People are like, oh, okay, cool. And off they go. It doesn't disrupt the script too far. It's not like throwing something really big on. But like you said, it could become performative and it could become overused. But sod it, I'd rather have those couple of years of it being used. And then we can start to figure out the next thing and the next thing. You know, for a long time there, rainbows was like the thing because it was so hard to get people to wear rainbow flags. And now you can't move, at, especially in Pride season and in LGBT History Month, for the fucking sheer volume of rainbows. I also really liked what Dr. Joe Parslow said last week of the order of their pronouns using they, he, and allowing people to see that somebody who uses they could be a doctor, could be lecturing, could be this person in authority and still be a they and still be a not a cis person or not entirely cis person and still have all the questions of gender and things like that. And I know that's also an interesting thing of like, it's allowing people to say, not only is the space safe, but the space is safe and it's allowing me to express this difference or express this identity. But I also feel like I've touched on the micro thing and I'm not really looking at the macro. Normally we're the other way around. We are normally. We are being this. <laughs> is that a thing the kids say? I have no idea what the kids, well, actually, I do know what the kids say because I'm on TikTok. Exactly. You know all the things the kids say. I know all the things the kids say because I'm a games lecturer. <laughs> oh, my God. When you said that there are people in your lecture hall who think Skyrim is an old school game, I'm like, no, seriously not. And then you're like, they were born about the time Skyrim came out. And I'm like, oh, fuck. Yes, they were, weren't they? Yes, they were. Essentially, some of the games that I am playing are probably older than them. Yeah. I'm writing an article about a game that came out in 97 and was remade a couple of years ago. And I was like, well, it's not that old. And then I was like, hold on a second. <laughs> it's older than the kids in my class. It's it's significantly older than the kids in my class. <laughs> I feel like we've somewhat strayed from the subject, but that's not a terrible thing. It's just it's just to note. <laughs> Say your name, state your pronoun, nice and easy. Or if it's not somewhere where you're going to be speaking and stating your name, if you've got a name badge, stick your pronoun on it and your sis and you feel comfortable sticking she, her on your name badge or something like that, you're going to make space for somebody else to run around and put a different pronoun on there and feel comfortable or feel comfortable going, hey, I could talk to you and you might think I'm of a binary gender, or you might turn around and be very sweet and go, I've no idea which changing room you should use. They're on the left. Just choose one. <laughs> I like this idea that um, the pronouns would be become so ubiquitous it almost become annoying to see, you know, to have that same problem as the rainbow flag. I would like to be someone who's celebrating the fact that there are rainbow flags everywhere. Because that seems like something to celebrate and not to be just miserable, like, oh, it's everywhere now. Or, you know, the rainbow hipster, like, I, I was cool back then and I knew, you know what I mean? Yeah, I knew its first album when it came out on cassette. The truth is it's more difficult to know what someone means with it anymore. I hope that stating one's pronoun it can remain a green flag. And I have no doubt we as a community or even individuals will come up with other green flags if this one stops being that. 
at a time when there is so much backlash against us. We need these green flags. We need these people saying these things. For me, it's someone posting something positive or a news story that is sensible or reasonable about us. It's, I don't know. I don't know what to say. So, okay, how's this? Because I was also thinking, okay, what's another green flag? I think three very young stars of a franchise that we won't talk about have shown ways of showing absolute green flags when every other fucker who has worked with this person and is of contemporary age to us and older seems determined to double down on homophobia, etc. These three young actors have basically turned around and said, no, this is wrong. I totally support trans people. Trans rights are human rights. I mean, Daniel Radcliffe, Emma Watson, and Richard Grint. There's more than that. There's been several... Because Malfoy's come out as well, hasn't he? One of the red flags currently in game studies areas, or just games in general, is if someone says, oh, I'm very excited for the new Hogwarts Legacy game that's supposed to come out. And that's become a hot-button topic, to the point where I no longer care to talk about it. Beyond saying that, yes, there are some actors in that game who've actually come out and said, there was one particular very sweet young actor who said, I got this part years ago, apparently, because, I mean, game design, by the way, takes literal years, as in years and years. The current adage, if you're interested in game design at all, everyone, is if you are a major company and you're currently starting to design a game, you are probably designing for the next PlayStation, as in PlayStation 6, (laughs) because it takes that long. So this particular actor was saying, oh, I got this job years ago when I had no idea that said author was unpleasant. I'm very sorry. And I'm learning about this. And I just wanted to make this remark and let me state my position clearly. And did so and was very positively received by those you would like to positively receive that kind of news. The thing is that I find difficult and actually I think is a challenge to those people who want to do this thing right is that they're worried about doing the wrong thing that they're so worried about doing the wrong thing like the person I just said earlier in this uh, podcast that oh I'm worried about doing a queer narrative I'm worried about doing the wrong thing they're so worried about doing the wrong thing they either do nothing at all because they're so frightened or it actually starts tripping them up and the reason it starts tripping them up is because they think doing something is binary You can either do the right thing or you can do the wrong thing. It's either a red flag or it's a green flag. That's not true. These actions are contextual. They are in context. They are part of an evolution. It is part of who you are and where you're going and who you want to be and how we want our world to be. That's what it is. And that's what's so difficult. That's why we talked about a vibe before, because someone can say something And I can see that as a very positive thing. And someone else could say exactly the same thing and have a completely different vibe. And I would assume that they're horrible. So someone could say, hi, my name is Josephine and I use she and her pronouns. And that's a green flag. And someone could say, hi, my name is X and I use she and her as a pronoun. And immediately we know that that's not positive. Now, that's obviously a very facetious example. But I think there are more examples of this where someone is trying their best. And it's a green flag for their ability to evolve as people, to learn, to to change. The fear of doing it wrong can limit our understanding of that possibility. And it disturbs me because I see so many people who would be allies, who would be positive, who would be good, 
are shut down by that. And we would want them to be braver, I get that. I think we can say to people, have a crack, because we can tell when you're doing it out of goodwill, because we read vibes and we can tell when you're doing it out of bad will. I just watched a lovely video, about eight minutes, and I'll throw a link up from a performer in London called Matt Ricardo, who I believe does some really cool magic tricks on stage. Lovely person. And he's a cis man. And he's turned around and said, I will no longer use ladies and gentlemen. And he explains why in those eight minutes. And one of his things is, I realize that I can exclude people. And one of the last things I want to do as a performer is exclude somebody from feeling comfortable and getting the vibe of my space. And I'm like, exactly. And he gives some examples of the different wordings that he uses. He said it's taken some time to train it out because it's a verbal tick. It's the thing that you say while your brain is racing for the next thing to say. But he's taken the time and the energy and then put out something to say, this is why I'm not doing it anymore. And I totally approve. The thing was he had to turn off comments on that video because, of course, he's getting the usual pile on by morons going oh, and the death of gender blah 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 and I'm like yeah gender's dead the gender binary died about 20 years ago and there is a lovely life being created around it if you read things like the entangled life and get really into what happens when things decompose and this has gone very dark and that's probably not where I was intending on it <laughs> but it's okay we can invent wonderful new genders we can invent wonderful new things if we've got the space to do so Having a crack, have a go. And I know that it's scary. I mean, we know that it's scary to look at genders and go, these things don't quite work. For me, that was a scary thing. I've talked about that. That took me, God, how many years to figure it out? And I mean, Josephine sat through how many conversations of, am I trans or not trans? Transing, transing. Do I trans? Do I not trans? Blah, blah, blah. To go through that as a trans person, as a non-binary person. That's a huge thing. So we know that it's scary. We know that it's scary if you are making a honest, valid effort, then that is great because we will feel that vibe because you can feel honesty and you can feel when somebody's being dishonest, which is why we know when politicians are lying, which is why we know when people are being disingenuous, which how we know all of those things, because we are evolved social animals. We spend our lives reading people. You always say to somebody, oh, I didn't get the right vibe from him. And you hear this over and over and over. And you also hear this over and over from women and other them presenting people who are discussing the vibe that they get from some straight men when they come up to them. And it's like, oh, I didn't quite like that person's vibe. And it's like, yeah, because that person was not being honest, was not being open. They were disassembling. They were being disingenuous. They had another agenda that they were trying to play out. And you can read that because we all can read that because we're evolved social animals. I think that's interesting because I've had a similar experience very recently. I had an interaction. Did you get hit on? No, no. I wish. <laughs> sorry, no, that would sorry, nice. sorry. <laughs> no, I had a, I had an encounter recently where, yeah, it was a vibe thing. It was very easy for me to discount my own experience. I was like, really, did that happen? I feel like it did, but and then you know the reality is, of course, it did. But yes, we do know that, and intention is part of that. And I think that's what's a positive on this, especially at this time when things are just wildly, wildly not okay. But speaking to that in a positive sense, 
one of the things that I've really enjoyed recently is there's I, I follow a fabulous lawyer called uh, Lyra Esquire on Twitter here, and uh, she's a trans woman, and she runs in circles where one would not normally be if one were trying to be in safe environments because she's a lawyer. So she's working in the legal system. She's very specifically trying to defend those people who are often marginalized, especially trans people, for example. One of the things that she noted, which I thought was really interesting, is that we right now feel very vulnerable and like we are really under attack and we are. But those people who are on the other side, the way they talk about us is they're terrified to the point where they keep saying things like, we've nearly won, that the right-wing discourse, that the transphobic and homophobic discourse is, oh my God, they've nearly won. And what she suggested that we try to do is to act like it. <laughs> or at least have encourage others to act like it. And I, I really liked that idea the other day. I agree with her. I think... A lot of this pushback is because we are winning. And this comes to the post that I made the other day about being here. I'm going to tie both topics together in a vague attempt. But I made this post about hope not being fragile, hope standing up and wiping the blood off the nose and running, grinning back into battle. And that we are at that stage of, yeah, we're beaten and bruised, but we are not out. And we are not down and out. We are on the winning side. There are so many people who look at the stuff that's going on and check in. And this is my workplace. People sending me messages going, I saw what happened over the weekend. I saw all of this stuff. Are you okay? I'm here if you need to talk. That is amazing that people are just reaching out and going, I see all the stuff that's going on and I'm here if you want to take a break. I'm here if you want to talk about it. And it's that notion of being here is a complicated notion. There's the notion of being here despite all of this external pressure, of being here in a real positive sense of I have been through the depths, I've been through the hellfire, I've been through all of the stuff and I am still here. And I feel almost like the Terminator 2 thingy that can never be destroyed like type thing and gets covered in liquid, liquid nitrogen and then forms back up and just keeps walking. And there's part of me, I hate identifying with the baddie in something, but just identifying as somebody who is almost becoming indestructible because no matter what they throw at us, we are here. We are here. And so there's that notion of being here despite everything. There's that notion of somebody saying, I am here if you want to talk. I'm here for you if you want some time out. There is that notion of being visibly here and taking up that space and going, hey, look, we are still here. You right-wing people, you can throw what you want at us. And we are here and we have always been here. And then I am here is such the biggest, powerfulest statement at the moment being here for each other, being here to listen and talk about having rough weeks. I mean, I'm coming out of a really rough, how many weeks has it been? It's been since October, I've been in a pretty bad state, which is not as long as Josephine, but it's one of those things of we've done a lot of calls where we've just been here for each other and just talk stuff through because you, as friends, we are here for each other. 
as humans, we are here for each other. Other people do that for us as well. Other people make space to take us out to dinner or go out to dinner with us and just listen to us rant about our day or talk about what's going on in the last two weeks or 10 minutes or whatever. And people are here. What I was saying before is that I don't feel like I cannot be okay in certain places, including this podcast, which is weird because it's our podcast. (laughs) But the other day I was in a work meeting and I wasn't feeling okay. And it was a series of different things, but I wasn't okay. And I guess it was obvious enough to those who were there and they were very kind in saying that it's all right to not be okay. And I was like, well, not really. It's supposed to be a professional environment. I'm supposed to be on and happy and trippy and doing all the things, you know, and so forth. And they were kind enough to say that it was all right to not be okay. I was in a meeting recently. We were talking about diversities of experience and there came up a issue related to trans experience and I just didn't want to talk about it. And a colleague did. A non-trans colleague did, cis colleague, chose to do that with the awareness that it would have cost me more to do. Being there is a huge thing. I'm not okay right now. I'm not okay today. Part of it's the news, for sure. Part of it is personal experience. And I don't really know how to be okay right now. And I know a lot of people are in the same situation right now, that we don't really know how to be okay with this. And maybe just being there is all we can do. And we can just not be okay together because that's all we need to do. Mm-hmm. And for those of you, dear listeners, who are not part of the LGBT community as members thereof, it is especially important for you to be there. And I'm very grateful that you are because that means the world. So showing up is perhaps the best green flag I can think of. Checking in and being kind causes all the good vibes and manages when it's not okay. Because it's not okay right now, everybody. The news is incredibly difficult to read. And yeah. Yeah. I appreciate appreciate you being there. We are here. We are here. We are taking up space. And to anyone out there feeling the stress of going through and when we're recording this is we don't normally put times on when we record this. This has been recorded around the end of January. And fuck only knows what's going to happen between now and when we actually put this out. Because you just look at what the government is doing. You look at the world and you're like, okay, so this is normal for 20 whatever we're in, 2020, 2022, 20, 2023, 20, it's just like, it's like watching those Fast and the Furious serials. The plot always seems to stay the same and you've never got any idea of exactly which number you're on. That's kind of how it feels. But we are here. We want you to be here as an audience. And that is the biggest green flag is somebody turning up and going, yeah, I'm here. And like Josephine said, somebody taking on the burden. Somebody saying, oh, there's a trans thing and either I expect Jay or Josephine to speak up or I can say something and 
if somebody's being particularly egregious, I can say something and stop them having to spend that energy and they can spend the energy being the fabulous lecturer in, grain, in game design and the fabulous whatever the fuck a harbinger of change does kind of person in that professional environment. You're not always having to be the person and you're also not having one of the things that I said to workers, don't wait for me to be hit before standing up. Stand up for me and stop me from being hit. And I think that was a bit of a shock to some people because they hadn't considered it that way. They'd seen stepping in behind me when I got hurt was what I was asking of them and just changing that narrative and go, can you stand in the front for once? Could you be here and just stand there and give me that little bit of protection for a moment? And of course, they're all like, oh my God, yes, of course. I wouldn't hesitate for a second, but it's almost like how we phrase that, can you stand up for me? Because we've also become so good at asking people not to speak for us. So people are sometimes frightened and I don't want people to speak for me. I just want people to stop me from being hit first. So shall we move on to Keanu Reeves? Shall we just wrap that up? Because I can see the look on Josephine's face. I can see the absolute exhaustion. And as a good friend and somebody who can read the vibe and read the room, I'm going to say that is us having done the topic for now. We will come back to green flags. We'll come back to standing up. We'll come back to these things. We'll come back to how awful it is to do a podcast with somebody who you can see is suffering and having a really hard day, but still wants to talk and still wants to be part of this. So I am going to talk about a Keanu Reeves movie, and I'm not going to talk about Dracula yet because that's going to be a very long rant. I'm going to talk about 47 Ronin because I watched it the other day. Tell me about this because I own this on DVD and I haven't watched it yet. Oh my God, you you, you haven't watched it. it. Okay, so it comes from manga. So manga comics was the original idea. Now, it's got manga Japanese tropes in it, but fucking knows where it's set because the physical setting feels like random insert medieval here with Japanese people in it. And then you realize it is written by two non-Japanese people. And I'm like, well, why the fuck make everyone Japanese? And why reference Japanese culture? And then I realized it's come from a manga. So the entire cast is Japanese or East Asian. Apart from one person, guess who that one person is? Keanu, who is in there as some kind of changeling type person, who is explicitly at one point referenced as being half European. His halfling status is referred to as being half demon. And I'm like, so is he half European or is he half demon? Are you trying to be post-colonial in your descriptions? Or is he half European and half demon and no way Japanese? And you've just shoved him into the story, which would make sense if he wasn't there. So literally, you could write out Keanu Reeves and still have a really good story. (laughs) But he is this character who is like this. Josephine is now looking completely bemused at my telling of the 47 Ronin. Carry on. So the Japanese part of the story is about your standard battle between two dynasties. And one dynasty manipulates the leader of the other dynasty to do something dishonorable and and has them commit seppuku. And then all of his samurai are disowned and they become the 47 ronin. The 48th ronin is, in fact, Keanu's character who just seems to randomly occasionally be a good fighter and live in a hovel and not have any social graces whatsoever and almost no interactions with any other characters. You could literally recut this movie without him, but that's the entire site. So the 47 ronin, they all get together. One of them is held in a pit for 
three years, very much pit in the pendulum notion, comes out, comes back to his family and is like, I have lost honour as a samurai. Well, I promised not to take revenge. I'm going to go and get my 47 people together and we're going to go and take revenge. And they do so in a slightly sneaky way, which is really brilliant. And they're a bit of a ninja, ronin ninja, samurai kind of moments. And it's a very, very cool battles and fighting. And there's some supernatural beings. Well, the supernatural beings part Again, bonkers, makes absolutely zero sense and could literally be cut out. And there's actually a really good dynastic story going on, which is a little with the supernatural elements. It's got kind of like a little bit Game of Thrones, a little bit Wheel of Time, whatever it's called, all of those different things. It's kind of like, but they just do some really bonkers stuff with it. It's old, so special effects be bad. Keanu's breathtaking. He does lots of really good fighting stunts and things like that. But it's just little moments. So, A, you've made the baddie really, really easy to spot, but also you've made them make no sense. I have thoughts. But is Keanu breathtaking? Oh, Keanu was breathtaking. Okay, and okay, Keanu okay. was in there as the Hollywood helper, the person who is there to make this movie make money, obviously. Um, Keanu, breathtaking. Brilliant in the movie. It's really hilariously bad. As always, we will discuss this further because that's what we will discuss next time. Yes. As always, we will be discussing why and how, and specifically, where is it best to see Keanu Reeves being breathtaking? And uh, I can say, Josephine, you can happily sell your forty-seven Ronin CD and not bother with it. All right, if you if you would like. Thank you. Good to know. Sell it to you? No. No. Well, everyone, if there's anybody who's listening and wants to buy a slightly used 47 Ronin DVD, which has not been watched by me, uh, you're very welcome to get in touch with us. <laughs> and you can get in touch with us at twitter.com slash itiscomplicated without the E at the end because Twitter. And if you are so inclined, you can find us at patriot.com slash itiscomplicated, all one word. That is where anybody who wishes to share with us a few coins, any money that you might have, which we then use to pay for uh, the interviews that we have. Most recently, we had Dr. Joe Parslow, and in the future, we're very excited for the guests that we have lined up. We will be paying them with lovely money that you uh, donate there. But whether or not you are on our Patreon or join us on Twitter, please do join us next time. We're Uh, also on Mastodon. If you look for us under it is complicated or one word, you will find us. I'm thinking of moving us to OMG, LOL. I'm not sure whether or not Josephine would approve of that. <laughs> feel free, Jay. Feel free. I trust your judgment in all things Mastodon. So you can find us there. But above all, wherever you might find us, please do find us at the next podcast, because that is always freely available where all good podcasts are sold for free. If you want to leave us a rating or a review, that would help other people find us. And we hope that you will join us again. (laughs) It is complicated. Next time, please do join us. We look forward to seeing you or not because we won't see you or even hear you because you're the listener. You'll be hearing us on the next It Is Complicated. I love your autism that you had to explain that metaphor to everybody. Yes. Neurospiciness for the win. Yes. And that's how that's how the kids say it these days. It's it, neuro spicy. Is it excellent? <laughs> okay. Bye. Bye. <laughs>